The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. All ideas expressed are opinions and property of host Dr. Dory Lynn or the Center for Relationships, Sexuality, and Spirituality, LLC. It's time for Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Your host is Dr. Dory Lynn. Age and experience are an asset, and Dr. Dory has put together experience, stories, some great guests, and connections with you front and center for a fun-filled adventure. We invite your participation as well. Now, here is Dr. Dory Lynn. Here I am, Dr. Dory Lynn, on Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. And um, today I would say it may not be a fun-filled adventure. I'm going to depart a little bit from where I usually go because I have been passionately involved with, aware, researching the reasons that I believe we have had the shootings that we have had. I have been very struck by the difference in El Paso and Dayton, and I'm going to discuss some things that I have not seen on radio, on TV, heard on a radio, But as a psychologist who has been trained for many, many years, I think I had 39 years of training, practiced 55 years. There's an overlap there. I was in training while I practiced. Otherwise, I'd be 100 and something. Uh, I have been thinking about the psychological reasons that we have such unrest and some of the statistics that nobody is talking about. And... I woke up in the middle of the night with a dream of my own. The dream itself is not important. If we had more time, I would share it with you. But being a therapist, I knew immediately that the dream was related to what I considered a form of ignorance that is being perpetrated on the American people generally by politicians, left and right, and by pundits who most of the time, in my humble opinion, don't know what they're saying. And media has a way of just keeping words going to keep you interested. But this was not the heart of the matter. So I thought today I would do some reading, some research, some uh, evaluation, share some stories, and tell you some, not all, some of the reasons that I think we have such an upheaval in America today. And again, let's pay attention to communities. The way El Paso reacted, which was more or less a loving community, a community that banded together compared to the way Dayton reacted, which was filled with blame, is very different. So there's a cultural aspect. Also, 
my dear northern intellectual friends, of which I am one, sort of, except I live in a gun-carrying state, guns themselves are not what the problem is about. We are a cowboy and Indian gun-toting culture. We have always been, and my guess is we always will be. Stop pretending you're going to get rid of guns. You're not. And may I point out that El Paso is a open gun-carrying city. Texas is an open gun-carrying state. And there wasn't any shooting. There's a lot of reasons for that. So guns themselves are not the reasons. And banning guns is not what's going to make a difference. Educating people about how to use guns and uh, understanding how they are used is very, very different. I also want to talk about mental illness and our big confusions and about technology. So let me just start, maybe I'll call this segment Humanizing America, a psychosocial view and how our soul, America's heart and soul can be touched. Why do we have such distraught goings on, not only in America, but in much of the world and particularly in Western culture. If I just list some of them and then go into detail, please stay with me because what I have to say is not what I have heard most other people say. I say that humbly, not with arrogance. First of all, we are in a society that is imbued with isolation and technology. And I'm going to give you some statistics on technology a little bit later. But the very fabric of society as we have known it no longer exists. And many people, including young people, have what the French call ennui, or a kind of lack of purpose, or a sense of not belonging any place. They are not necessarily mentally ill, and they are not necessarily the products of video games, although video games have a place in what is happening. So one is our isolation. We are a fragmented, fractured society. Two, why do we like diagnosis so much? And there are movements against diagnosis. I'm going to talk about that. So I'm just outlining the chapter headings. For one thing, if we can diagnose a constellation of symptoms, personality traits, ways of thinking about people, it makes us comfortable. We can just look at them and say, oh, they're an obsessive compulsive, or they are a depressive, or they are whatever else. Uh, But This is not necessarily true. People are people. Generally speaking, if you have four out of seven good days, excuse me, seven out of 10 good days, 
that means it's expected that you might have three not-so-wonderful days, a little bit of depression, anxiety, a bit of a temper, whatever it is. If you have seven out of ten days, you're considered, quote, mentally healthy. Also, in America, it is statistically valid that one out of every four people is going to have a mental illness every year. One quarter of America, according to these statistics, then is mentally ill over the course of a year. My question is, that's you, that's me, that's Chip who's next to me, that's my engineer, that's the person I live with. If one quarter of America is going to be, quote, mentally ill, unquote, how do we come to this statistic? Do we include appropriate mourning after the death of a loved one? Do we consider appropriate depression and loss? Do we consider appropriate anxiety when you're trying something new? We Maybe it is society that is unhinged and not the one quarter of the people who are supposedly going to have a breakdown. This is very interesting. This is from some members of the Psychoanalysts for Social Responsibility, Division 39 of the American Psychiatric Association. Well, you can't get a segment of the population that's more intellectual and more interested in diagnoses than this particular aspect of, excuse my noise, aspect of the population. And according to something that came out today, they said that only 25% of shooters can be said to have mental illness. The rest are, quote, normal. Or shall we just simply say normative terrorists? So calling these people mentally ill is a global term. And talking about mental illness as a reason for everything may just be off-putting. And health or, or psychology, and I've said this before, psyche comes from the Greek, which means soul. The therapist, therapia, comes from the Greek, which means healer. The original meaning was to be the healer of the soul or the whole individual. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, How do we start defining what is sane, crazy, mental, or ill? And I want to use an example that is very, very common. It may not be common in your field, but it is something that I've certainly known about for many years. There are other societies that live quite differently. The uh, Balinese In 1937, a major book came out calling the Balinese a psychotic society. Well, that was very interesting. I visited Bali several times. The Balinese are among the most peaceful people. 
They have been raided. Very few people know that a million men have been killed. Uh, there's over religious differences. And they are a lovely people. Uh, they've changed because they're very close to Australia and uh, tourism has changed them. But they're very happy, peaceful people. Uh, and the person I would meet during the day who looked like you or me and was helpful and lovely was the same person who at night could go into a trance and put needles through their cheeks and not bleed. They could uh, walk on coals and not burn their feet. And this was not unusual. This was the average Balinese. What is psychotic about having that ability? Perhaps they are an advanced society that we are not familiar with. I'll tell you another society that we think is quite strange and that I think is very related to the topic. There's a, a group of Malaysian Indians called the Sanoi. Now they live in Malaysia and they're called the dream people. And as people for years, they would gather every morning and they would talk about their dreams. That was the ritual of their society. And the shaman or the leader would help them with their dreams. And if they had a dream, which was a nightmare, and a nightmare, by the way, is considered a dream that is trying to tell us something that we don't pay attention to. So by the time it keeps knocking and we keep saying we're not interested, and I know some of you say you don't dream, you actually do dream, you just don't remember your dreams, everybody dreams. In this case, the society dreams, and the whole society pays attention and teaches them how to go back and redream for the purpose of peace, joy, and product productivity. They are known as a very peaceful people because the society works together with their dreams. And the reason I bring this up is we are now in a society that is a sleepless society where people don't get REM sleep, they don't dream, and they're living, large majority of the people are living on pills. What is that doing to the basic psyche of a human being when we're supposed to dream, we're supposed to listen to our dreams, we're supposed to pay attention, we're supposed to use our dreams as a gift to ourselves that tell us something about ourselves. After all, whether you believe dreams come from God, whether you believe they're religious, whether you believe they're the collective unconscious, what, whether you believe they come from you, what we do know is you are the author, the director, the actor, the participant. So the dream is inside of you, wherever you want to believe that it comes from, to teach you something. And there are many aspects of psychology that focus on dreaming, not only Freudian, but Jungian especially, when they believe in uh, a collective unconscious. There's such a thing as lucid dreaming. We are taught to use your dreams to pay attention. 
So here we now have a society where we have eliminated a very important aspect of ourselves, dreams. And I would like to say that dreams in actuality and perhaps metaphorically, because people, especially young people who are shooters, don't have dreams in a metaphorical sense. They have actualities where they have hate. They don't have love. They have dreams or they act out power or bad thoughts or I don't want to call it evil, but they don't know dreaming. So from my point of view, there are some very important points to start with. One, we are isolated. We have a fragmented society. We don't have much community. Whether you believe in church or not, we know that attendance is down. We know that marriages, 52% of marriages break up, and many of those that don't break up probably are pretty awful. We know that kids are in isolation. We know that this is the first generation of college students who, for a large majority, have been on medication their whole lives. Listen to that. They enter college and they have been on medication their whole lives. And schools, except for schools like Harvard, Yale, and those that are well-known, small schools can't afford not to have these students because school is a business. So they keep people in school and they try and educate them. But these are people who are not accustomed to learning on their own. They're used to being on medication. Many young people bring rabbits, pets, you know, the way you give children in a crib. Many of them bring them to college because they are that isolated. They bring their huggy bunny to college. Now, that's a huge societal change. These are factual. I am not making this up. You can look them up. So we have isolated kids. We have kids on medication. We have kids who are without purpose. They have lack of contact. And we're going to talk about technology's impact in this minute. They have lack of love. They don't know love. They don't know how to give or receive love. They don't know what it means. They feel a huge lack of belonging. There is no sense of belonging, of community. If you see two people walking down the street on their cell phones, going to the same location, or you see a couple sitting at a restaurant and each one is on their cell phone and their child is busy on their laptop, what kind of communication is there? So there's a very big downside to technology. There's a, a huge societal underbelly of difficulties where people look for meaning. There are copycat killings. There are angry killings. 
I'm not going into politics, but we certainly see things on the media. You have a moment of fame. I've been listening to blaming video games. Statistically, there is no correlation. Now, I actually disagree with that statistic. Video games, as with movies, as with songs, as with all media, not social media only, all media both reflect and react to people's needs. If people didn't have these needs, they wouldn't buy these games or listen to the music or um, watch violent movies. On the other hand, these help shape people's beliefs. So my point so far, and then I'm going to go, I'll take a break and we'll start talking about the impact of technology. So my point so far is shooters are not all mentally ill. We don't even know what mental illness is. And maybe I'll spend 15 minutes or so talking about that if I can squeeze in the time. They can have access to guns. El Paso is an open gun-carrying city. People did not shoot, even if they could have. What would we have had? A war going on within the bounds of our own cities? People were killed. Children were killed. People did brave acts. It was a community that banded together, partially because of the social fabric of the community. Dayton has a different social fabric. I'm not speaking better or worse, but it is different. Uh, So some of these simplistic reports that I have heard, oh, we have to have gun control, or we have to stop video games, or... I don't know what else I've heard from pundits who do not know what they are talking about. They do not know psychology. They do not know sociology. They do not look beyond keeping you involved. It upset me very much because simplistic responses are wrong. There is a weaving and inter development of these factors. I'm going to come take a break, and when I come back, I'm going to talk about the role of big pharma and diagnosis, the use of pills. I'm going to talk about technology and some pretty amazing statistics, and I'm going to talk about what is mental health and mental illness, and how have we gotten to a place where we use these words so easily? And what has happened when we've closed mental hospitals, put people on the street, and our prisons are now our mental health institutions? This is Dr. Dari Lin. I'm talking not frivolous, frivolously about mindful matters that really do have to do with love, sex, spirit, and the meaning of life. See you, talk to you after the break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Dory Lynn's latest book, Sex for Grownups, reveals the truths, lies, and must-tries for great sex after 50. Now published by Simon & Schuster, this book shows that no matter the age, sex can be a wonderful experience, but there are efforts that need to be taken. Read the book, try some of the suggestions, and live a happier life with better sex. Right now, for a limited time, mention Voice America and get 20% off the book when you email Dr. Dory at drdory.com. That's D-R-D-O-R-R-E-E at drdory.com. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to Lead Up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Colleen Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to The James Dentley Show and learn strategies for success in business and in life. Dr. James Dentley is a proven success coach who knows how to convert good into great. You'll find out from the achievers and leaders how they got to be the success stories that they are. And Dr. Dentley and his guests will give you the tools you need to follow in their footsteps. It's time to become the best version of you. Listen to The James Dentley Show. Fridays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit, with Dr. Dory Lynn. We want to hear from you today at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to drdory at drdory.com. Now, back to Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. Dr. Dory, back again with Mindful Matters. And today... We're not only talking about love, sex, spirit. We're really talking about what has happened in our society. And this has been brought on by the gobbledygook that I've been listening to about El Paso and Dayton. And when I say gobbledygook, I have heard more pundits say more garbage that is simply the tip of the iceberg and has very little to do with the fundamental issues of our culture today and what are we going to do about it. And I'm passionate about some of the issues. Uh, Please do remember you can call in and you know the number by now. And you can always write in if you agree, disagree. We actually, on the break, we're talking about the issues of sex education and the fact that uh, the areas that do not teach sex education have the most unwanted pregnancies. 
And one of the people off the off the break said, well, it's too dicey a subject. To, and I said, it's not too dicey a subject at all. Everyone has a view and they deserve to speak their view. That is the American way. But I wanted to talk about the wonderful things about cell phones and technology and let you know some statistics that are pretty frightening to me and true. I'm going to read this to you. The typical cell phone user, this is from a uh, study at a place called Discount, D-S-C-O-U-T, and it was commissioned in 2016, and it's about how many times we touch our cell phones and use them. So that's 2016, that's three years ago, and it's increased. The typical cell phone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times every day. 2,617 times a day. That's according to this research firm. Discount, D-S-C-O-U-T. But that's just the average user. The study found that extreme cell phone users, meaning the top 10%, which would imply probably people who don't work or have jobs or have families or other things to do, touch their phones, ready for this, more than 5,400 times a day. 5,400. 1,400 times a day touching your cell phone. Do you have any idea how many hours in a day that is? They tracked Android users first with a special tool so that they could count. And uh, they did this for 24 hours a day for five days. Actions like typing, tapping, swiping, the phone's screen counted as a touch. They also found that the average user spent 145 minutes on their phones and engaged in 76 phone sessions per day. Well, that doesn't leave too much time to hug your baby, tell your spouse or partner you love them, or do much else in life. For iPhone users, Apple recently confirmed that its device users unlock their phones 80 times every day. That's about as much as, oh, let's say, six or seven times every hour. So no matter what your smartphone preference, the facts make a clear point. We are addicted to our mobile devices. Excuse me. I was talking to a colleague of mine and he was reminded me that we were driving in Charleston when the College of Charleston had just opened and it was filled with delightful young kids. It was a joy to see the youth and be in the middle because we Uh, Charleston happens to be a unique city because, among other things, it has a major college downtown. So it's a very um, age-friendly city, elders, 
youth, and everything in between. And we both remembered the incident vividly because we were driving and a young man on a skateboard with his cell phone next to his ear drove, just skated right past us, and we had to put on the brake immediately. I remember the terror that I felt. This young man has no idea how close to getting killed he was. He also has no idea how quickly he could have caused an accident. People live on their cell phone even when skateboarding or doing anything else. So we are addicted to our mobile devices. If we keep swiping, which may be up to three hours a day, we are living in a virtual reality. We are living in a virtual world. We are dating in a virtual world. We are interrelating in a virtual world. We are, in fact, isolated. We're not even in a community setting, even in Starbucks. We are all isolated in our individual little thought pattern with our device. Well, how does one learn social skills? How does one learn love? How does one learn not to be depressed? A technological aid can do wondrous things. It does not generally teach human interaction. In a way, it helps us lose our soul. So that is part of the damage of technology. And it is very much related to why we have so much disrest, disrest, that's not quite a word, unrest and discomfort. I was combining two words. I'd like to talk a little bit also about this concept of mental illness. When I was first in training, we had a maximum of 50 diagnoses. So quite a while ago. The latest DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, has over 500 and it's increasing. And some of them are actually quite humorous. This is not an exact example, but I remember one that made me laugh, and it really wasn't funny. It was something about two-year-old rebellious behavior. Well, two-year-olds are supposed to have rebellious behavior. That is how they individuate. That is how they learn to go on their own. They are not supposed to be put on medication for this kind of behavior. This is part of their learning. Uh... Now, why do we have so many diagnoses? One reason, and this is an opinion and a fact, one reason is that Big Pharma loves it. The more diagnoses we have, the more pills we sell. The more pills we sell, the more we can diagnose, and it goes in a circle. Just because a person has a constellation of personality traits, maybe they're a little bit perfectionistic or a little bit obsessive, or maybe they get angry once in a while, 
or maybe sometimes they are sad. These are not necessarily mental illnesses. These are human qualities that we have forgotten are human qualities that one, as we would say, learns to roll with the punches. They are part of life. They are part of what gives us heart and soul. And and they are part of what teach us how to survive adversity. We're not supposed to swallow a pill and walk around like robots. This is not a human condition. So there are even organizations now Some of the largest ones are in Great Britain and uh, in France. Some are in the United States. And some of the more uh, scientific journals are actually taking a different stand. And they're arguing that psychiatric diagnoses are not valid or useful, that The use of the diagnoses, one, increases stigma rather than necessarily take away the stigma. We like to cure things. We don't like to prevent things in America. It does not usually aid in treatment decisions because whoever you go to will treat you with whatever pill or theory or idea they happen to have. And in many ways, it may be associated with worsening long-term prognosis for mental health. It poses problems about Western beliefs and about mental distress in other cultures. So this comes from a very scholarly uh, journal. I'm trying to find the Journal of Scientific something or another. Oh, the International Journal of Clinical and Health Psychology. And they are researching the negative aspects of using diagnoses. I am very interested in this because nobody wants to throw away all diagnoses. There is no question that some are genetic. Uh, There are certain forms of schizophrenia that we know are genetic. But by calling everything a mental illness, and if one out of four people in the United States supposedly have a mental illness each year, and if supposedly only 25% of shooters are considered having a mental illness, what does that say about our concept of what mental illness is? So let me talk about what mental illness is as we use it in the generic, because we use the term without really understanding what it is. Uh, we, We toss it around the way we toss a bowl of spaghetti without knowing whether it's bolognese sauce, tomato sauce, garlic sauce, or something we love or hate, or gluten free, or good for us or not. I don't believe that most mental illnesses are mental illnesses. Some are. As I said, schizophrenia in certain cases absolutely is. Uh, There's a spiritual dimension perhaps. Uh, We can talk about that afterwards. There's, um, There's 
uh, other issues, I didn't mean to fumble there, that are just parts of the human condition that we are teaching people not to know how to go through. We do know that problems are on the rise. There's no question about that. Well, it takes a no-brainer to figure that out. We're in a complex society. We, we uh, know that society is not the way it was 20 or 30 years ago where life was simpler. We know that we are overwhelmed with decisions and the impact of technology and the information age. And we're not ready to always deal with everything that comes out as, at us, especially as we lose contact with other people and in, we're in isolation. So what else do we know? We know that women are more likely to be affected and women are more likely to get depressed. And uh, young people are definitely more susceptible and it is believed that young people with emotional difficulties or ways of not knowing how to handle life very well usually start at a very young age, perhaps less than five, which is when major learning takes place, perhaps less than eight. But these issues start generally at a young age. They get manifested when somebody shoots someone or when they're stick they're on their their smartphone. But they start at a young age. Women are more deeply affected and millenniums and young people are more impacted. They are growing up in a society with very little human contact. However, interestingly, men are more likely to both commit suicide and to kill. So we know that statistically so far, there is a difference between the way stress impacts both men and women, and especially young people. Uh, how does this relate to shooting? I'll get back to that. We also know that mental health issues start at a very young age, as I said before. Generally, kids under the age of 16 have the, the issues they're going to carry for life, and about half of them have them by the age 14. And these all come from very fine statistical and scientific publications, which if you want to write in or call, I'd be happy to give you their names. We also know that we're in a society where mental health services and funding are the poor relation to other kinds of funding. We like to come in and say, well, we'll help you after the fact. But if someone has an issue and they think they're going to be diagnosed, uh, it goes two ways. One hand, their stigma is a little bit less nowadays. On the other hand, it is greater. And they don't want to come in for help. And they don't want to come in to be, quote, fixed. They uh, want help 
in advance. Generally, they want love and connection. Uh, mental health funding. Help funding for people in trouble, basically. Funding for people who are poor. Funding for people who are on the streets is minimal. I mentioned earlier that we took great pride about 30 years ago, I think, in closing one-fourth of our mental hospitals. We thought this was just wonderful because we now had all these drugs. So we closed our mental hospitals and we put people out on the street. Well, if somebody does need medication, what makes anyone in the world think that they're going to take it unless uh, somebody is there to help them. So they're out on the street. They are raped. They are robbed, or they rape and rob, or shoot, or kill, or they wind up in jail. So our jails are our new mental health institutions. And guess what? Our police and first responders are our new mental health counselors. That's not their job. That's not what they're supposed to do. There's something very mixed up in a society where we expect our jail system to take care of people who are disturbed. This is wrong and it doesn't help. That's my opinion. Dr. Dare on Mindful Matters. What has happened with the increase of antidepressant drug prescriptions? I can tell you that in 2006, there were 31 million people who had prescriptions. By 2016, there were 65 million. And by 2019, it has continued to increase. I don't know how many. So basically, we have a um, officially drugged society where anti-illegal drugs, that's a different issue, but we are more and more psychopharmacologically in favor of drugging people under the guise of medical cure. There's something that's not right about this. And what's not right is that people don't learn the tools to know how to reach out and ask for help. We live as communal creatures. We are communal, creature, communal creatures. We need other people. Smartphones and technology, even Alexa, who may talk back to you very politely and even say to me, sorry, I don't know that, does not quite give you the warmth, the love, the touch, the sex, the hormones that you need. So why do we have shooters? Our society is in a mess, and it's not one thing. It's not video games. It's not one person doing racial epithets, although that may not be very helpful. There's another th issue in our very mobile society that is very important to know and that is different from years ago and that many people want 
to do away with and do away with the reality. Years ago, people lived together. I know myself during the Second World War, I was very, very, very young, very young, but I remembered as a joyful time. My father was away in the war. That was not joyful, but we were a community of people who bonded together with purpose, and we would make candies, and uh, all of us who were together loved each other and supported each other and supported the people who weren't there. There was a sense of community. Now, the average family moves about every five years, every seven years. We're not quite sure. It keeps shifting. Well, if you keep moving and having to rebuild, you're a long way from home, aren't you? And you're a very long way from your internal home. You're constantly changing schools for the children, finding new jobs. If you're in a relationship, having to change jobs and change the impact of your relationships. Uh, And if you need help, frequently you have to go a long way away from home. So there's a, a, a book written by an acupuncturist, a dear friend of mine, now deceased, Diane Conley, and she called it All sickness is homesickness. One might say some sickness is spiritual sickness. I'm not talking about religion, but all sickness has to do in some ways with a sickness that goes inside of us deeply. So how does this all wind up and go back around for uh, El Paso? And Dayton. I was horrified when people were trying to find simplistic answers. I was horrified when they were saying somebody was, quote, mentally ill. It is my proposition that our society is in trouble for some of the reasons that I indicated, and that these people are not always sicker than you or me, they, which is very hard to believe. They are so distraught. Some of them are ill, and I don't want to go into evil or good. They are so distraught that they take their hatred and anger out irrationally on others. Why kill an innocent child for no reason, no conscious reason at all, other than you think you have a right to shoot. And I think that we saw that very much in El Paso, where a large portion of the population is Hispanic, but the community gathered together because it's a loving community. And um, even though it is a gun-toting community, They did not shoot. So my dear friends who are trying to uh, eliminate guns, no, you're not supposed to have AK rifles. But trust me, you are never going to take guns away 
from those people who were brought up with them, who were brought up to use them, brought up to respect their power, and brought up to use them well. And that's simply a fact. We are the foundation. Uh, America is based on the foundation of freedom, guns, uh, cowboys and Indians, guns used appropriately. And the, the idea is not to ban guns, even though Australia did it and crime went down. We are not Australia. We are a very complex country. I wonder, again, uh, if you have any other questions, I'm going to invite Chris if he has anything to say. He has some different views. We have about a minute or two. So I will say this is Dr. Dari with Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit. And today I'm talking, believe it or not, about love, sex, and spirit in the world as it is today. We cannot dumb down our intellect to try and pin something on one reason. Life is complex, as it should be, and we need to deal with it. Chris, did you want it? 30 seconds? Yeah, we got to run. You got to go? I think we do. So some of you might have some other views. Please, if you disagree, agree, let me know. Dr. Dore at drdore.com or call in and I look forward to speaking with you next week and let us all pray and hope that there will be no more shootings that we have to watch. Thank you for being a part of our show. Mindful Matters, Love, Sex, Spirit can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be sure to join Dr. Dory Lane for another exciting show next week.